Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Israel, Brazil, Spain, Germany, Italy, and a see you in hell from pre-war fascist Austria. Going to start out with the United States. There have been several important text leaks on the right wing in the United States this week. Some of them have come from Andrew Tate, who has bragged about his sex trafficking, literally calling himself kind of evil for the things that he did to women, specifically keeping them unemployed, penniless, without their passports, forced to engage in sexual acts for money. Additionally, some from Gavin Wax, who was supposed to be some sort of like palatable Trump supporter, but who has turned out to be just like an open fascist. And another set from Nate Hochman, who was also supposed to be a palatable face of the right wing in the United States. This guy was a DeSantis supporter, however, but has been revealed to be a supporter of Nick Fuentes and has also liked and supported Nazi memes. This should not really surprise anybody. A lot of these professional right wing people in the United States are, in fact, fascists who are just trying to hide their ideology in order to get it into U.S. politics. In terms of Trump news, Trump's documents case, that is the case pending for his seizure and illegal taking of secret documents from the United States, has been scheduled for the 20th of May, 2024. This is going to be right smack dab in the middle of the primary season in the United States. That's pretty bad news for Trump, although I guess it's better than it being sooner. It's kind of complicated. Finally, in the United States, many experts have said that there has been a growth, an overall growth, in neo-Nazi activity in the United States over the last several years. Now, for those of you who've been paying attention, that might not be a big surprise, but having it be empirically verified is pretty important. Specifically, the type of neo-Nazi activity that's on the rise in the United States are active clubs. These are organizations that are sort of non-centrally organized forms of right-wing organizations. Honestly, the thing to think about when it comes to this is the movie Fight Club, organizations that are running themselves like this, a decentralized but still cohesive, at least culturally and functionally cohesive group of right-wing people who train their members in violence and promote right-wing neo-Nazi rhetoric. Another analog would be fascist football hooliganism in Europe and Latin America, except like what if they didn't even pretend that their central ideology was that they supported a particular football team, right? Now, these active clubs in parts of the United States are organizing centrally. In particular, some of them in the Pacific Northwest are organizing as the Northwestern Nationalist Network, a coalition of fascists in the Pacific Northwest in the United States whose goal is to attack LGBTQ organizations and events. Moving on to Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu's government has pushed ahead with its plans for a judicial overhaul. This is the controversial plan that Netanyahu's government had enacted, whose purpose was to increase the control of the legislature of Israel, which is in essential control of the extreme right wing, or at least conservatives and the extreme right wing. It was going to put the legislature in control of the judiciary in Israel. There have been massive protests, and this is all despite the fact that Netanyahu and his supporters have said that this judicial overhaul is less intense than the one that they had originally intended. Not exactly a consolation to the people who want to maintain the rule of law in Israel. Moving on to Brazil, there has been a new arrest in the Marielle Franco case. 
Maria Lifranco was a famous person of color politician and a famous queer activist in Brazil. Probably when she was alive, the most famous queer politician in the country. She was murdered by probably two police officers several years ago. Those two police officers have been charged, but no trial has been sought yet because the Brazilian government is still trying to figure out who it was that, you know, ordered them to kill her. Recently, there has been an arrest of another person, a former firefighter, but they're still trying to find the mastermind. The cops who probably actually pulled the triggers had ties to Bolsonaro's son. We can prove that they met with him, that they knew him. Also, probably that members of their family were on his payroll, that they actually got money from the Bolsonaro family. However, there has yet to be a direct, legally established tie between the Bolsonaro family and Maria Lefranco's assassination. Franco's sister is now a member of the Brazilian government, pledging to promote her legacy and specifically to promote the protection of queer people in Brazil. Moving on to talk about what is happening to Jair Bolsonaro, uh, the person who is very possibly responsible for Marielle Franco's assassination, he is essentially out of Brazilian politics, at least electorally. He's been fading from the spotlight ever since he was you know, put on the path to probably being rendered ineligible to run for political office for the remainder of his life. Remember, he is out of office and he cannot run for another eight years because of the decisions of the Supreme Electoral Tribunal in Brazil. Recall that that isn't even about his attempted coup earlier this year on January 8th. That was about his electoral rhetoric leading up to the election, which he lost. Speaking of his loss in that election, Lula, the current president of Brazil, is pushing for decades in prison for those involved in the attempted coup on January 8th. Moving on to Spain, Spain had an election last weekend, and earlier this month I was talking about that election as being a really dangerous one. Vox, the extreme right-wing party in Spain, was poised to gain a whole bunch of seats. That was the prediction. And the idea, unfortunately, was that Vox was probably going to form a coalition with the center right-wing party in Spain. Fortunately, this did not happen. Instead of this massive conservative and right-wing victory, the left essentially held its ground in Spain, leaving the conservatives in an extreme dilemma. They can't reach a majority by an easily achievable coalition, even with Vox, despite the fact that the conservatives are the biggest party in the country. The second biggest party in the country currently is the Socialist Party, a center-left party. However, they also probably can't achieve a majority with the parties that they might form a coalition with, namely far left-wing parties and possibly some Catalonia independence parties. This means that Spain is in a real limbo situation. There might be another election straight away, or at least within the next couple months. There might be a grand coalition between the center-right and the center-left, something that happens relatively often in Europe. Or it's possible that the right will attempt to govern in a minority coalition. Now, this failure on the part of Spanish conservatives is a big blow to right-wingers in Europe who were really banking on another government having a, a, you know, a government ruled by the conservatives and the extreme right wing in the way that Italy's is. Specifically, this is a blow to Giorgio Maloney, the prime minister of Italy's plans for remaking Europe in the image of the extreme right. 
Moving to Germany, just a quick note, the leader of the Christian Democratic Union, Germany's center right-wing party, has suggested, literally, that a local CDU form a coalition with the extreme right-wing Alternative for Deutschland party. This is big, crazy, bad news. Like, like the theme of this episode is about problems with right-wing coalitions, the problems that people face when they are conservatives or people who claim to be conservatives, people who claim not to be really fascists, who are trying to form coalitions with extreme right-wing groups. For example, in Italy, there is anger on the right wing because of Giorgio Maloney's recent supposedly conciliatory moves on immigration. Maloney campaigned on an extreme anti-immigration platform, you know, saying that she was going to try to end all immigration to Italy she was opposed to immigration. She was pretty openly racist about the people who were immigrating to Italy, who are primarily coming from the Middle East and also from North and Central Africa. Now, Maloney is trying to gain a new governing coalition, at least when it comes to immigration. You know, she's not trying to change the actual makeup of the Italian government. Instead, she's trying to pursue a little bit more of a moderate position when it comes to immigration specifically saying that immigration is good, at least some what she calls legal immigration is good, whereas she does still want to stop what she calls illegal immigration, that is unauthorized immigration. Now, the right wing in Italy and also throughout Europe is extremely pissed off about this because they think about it as a betrayal. Some of the sources and people that I read, you know, the, the creepy right wing people that I read in order to make this podcast for you, remember I read this shit so that you don't have to, some of these people have called Maloney a globalist. That is a right-wing dog whistle for saying that she is in the pockets of Jewish people, that she is being controlled by the Jewish Zionist government, right? Like that's, that's what they believe. Finally, going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of right-wing figures in history. This one is a big one. It's possible I have done him before. I don't think so. Let me know if I have. But he's important enough to do again if I have. His name is Engelbert Dolfus, the biggest and most important Austro-fascist. Dolfus was born in the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1892 to a poor peasant family in Lower Austria, which is the northern part of the country. Austria is one of those countries where Upper Austria means like elevation, you know, like into the Alps, and Lower Austria means down into the lowlands in the northern part of the country. Despite his peasant upbringing, he did very well in school and was supported by his local church, by his parish, to go to actually attend more school. Like most people in Austria at the time, and especially where he lived in Austria, Dolfus was a dedicated Catholic. When he entered his university studies, he initially intended to be a priest and studied a lot of theology, but then moved on to study law in 1912, and that was where the remainder of his education was. When World War I broke out in 1914, Dolfus tried to enlist in the Austro-Hungarian army, but was at first rejected due to his height. Dolfus was only five feet tall. He tried again the same day. He just went to a different recruiter's office and was accepted this time. He joined the Tyrol Militia, which is a section of Austria that is on the border of Italy. And he remained for the remainder of the war fighting the Italian empire on the Italian front. He eventually left the war as a lieutenant, a pretty serious set of promotions for somebody who enlisted as an enlisted man. After the war, Dolphus dedicated his life to supporting his two main causes, 
those of Austrian peasants, the people that he came from, and that of Catholic conservatism and the Catholic right wing, his central ideology. He worked as a peasant organizer, specifically a conservative peasant organizer who considered it his job to keep peasants in Austria away from Marxism. He was sent to do some study in Germany, where he met his wife and also his future coalition partners. And he returned and did more peasant organizing on his way back from Germany. This eventually landed him some nice government positions. In 1931, he was appointed as the Minister for Agriculture and Forestry in the new Austrian Republic. And this, you know, this is sort of like the peasant ministry, right? It's, it's the thing that would be the capstone of the career of a man who had had the trajectory that he had. However, in 1932, after he'd been in the federal government for only about a year, he was asked by the president of Austria to become the chancellor of Austria, leading a coalition of right-wing agrarians, sort of his base, the Heimatblock, a paramilitary fascist group that was the electoral wing of the Heimat, the Austrian version of German paramilitary organizations like German Nazi paramilitary organizations, and Dolphus's own Christian Social Party, a conservative Catholic party. As Chancellor of Austria, Dolphus cemented the ideology of Austrofascism, a form of fascism that is deeply connected to Catholicism and the peasantry, but which was also specifically organized as a counter to Austrian Nazis, who were organizing in the late 1920s and early 1930s, who were trying to get Austria to join Nazi Germany as a constituent German state. Just a year after Dolphus became the Chancellor of Austria, Hitler became the Chancellor of Germany in 1933. And this was a big dangerous sign for Dolphus, right? He wanted to maintain Austria as a separate fascist, but not Nazi, state. Dolphus in 1933 banned both the communists and the Austrian Nazis, who again, remember, are separate from Dolphus's Austro-fascists. At this point, Austria is essentially divided between the fascists and the Nazis, right? <laughs> Two separate groups. Dolphus in 1933 essentially established a one-party dictatorship under, you know, what remained of the Christian Democratic Party, the Christian Social Party. His government was much more akin to Mussolini's government than it was to the Nazi government. He faced a 16-day civil war after he attacked some fellow Social Democrats. Some of the other people in Austria opposed his changes to the Austrian system and his establishment of this one-party dictatorship. He won this civil war and also got his independence guaranteed by Benito Mussolini. So again, this is Mussolini, a fascist, guaranteeing Austrian independence vis-a-vis -vis the attempts by German Nazis to annex Austria. This is an incipient potential conflict between fascists and Nazis in the early 1930s. Dolphus issued a new constitution of Austria in 1933, a constitution that was corporatist. He was well on his way to becoming a sort of Mussolini or Salazar in Portugal type figure, an extremely Catholic fascist who would maintain his independence and separation from the Nazis. This did not come to pass, however, because Dolphus was assassinated by Austrian Nazis this week in history, the 25th of July, 1934. The group of assassins that did this were essentially executed after some show trials. After this assassination, Benito Mussolini mobilized on the Austrian border in an attempt to guarantee the Austrians' independence and blamed Hitler, essentially correctly, for this assassination. Dolphus was succeeded by another chancellor of Austria for another four years until Austria was finally annexed 
by the Nazis in 1938 in a very different world that was essentially cemented by a coalition between Mussolini's fascist Italy and Hitler's Nazi Germany, essentially ending this window of potential conflict amongst the fascists based on like what kind of fascists they were. So, Engelbert Dolphus, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right, and also fascism15. I'm also on Blue Sky at 15 Minutes of Fascism, that's 15 like numerals, M-I-N-S of fash, F-A-S-C. All right, and I will talk to you next week.